good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Uh, here we are, um, ready to go again. Um, we're going to be continuing with our, our series of wisdom, or the principal things. And uh, we've taken two weeks off. We had Easter two weeks ago, and then last week we were gone on vacation. Uh, we're back, and we're ready to go. With that being said, uh, we will be starting, just so you know, uh, we will be starting a new uh, Karen's Bible study tonight, a better way to pray, starts tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, anyone is invited, uh, we have books if you like those, uh, so that will be at 6 o'clock tonight with Karen's Bible studies, and our regular uh, LEO's classes will resume this week on Wednesday and Thursday, and uh, we're back on schedule with everything, so I'm excited about finishing up this series of Wisdom, the principal thing, uh, we're going to be doing with uh, two of the pillars that we uh, seven pillars this morning and then we're going to hopefully wrap it up either next week or the following week and then we're going to get to a new series about seeing Christ or seeing Jesus in the Revelation and I'm excited about that one as well. So anyway, I know there's a lot of info uh, but we're back. Uh, we're going to be talking about wisdom again this morning and uh, we have a new Bible study tonight and another way to pray. So I'll invite you to that. Okay? Everyone good? Enough announcements? All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the Word this morning. Um, again, we're, we're talking about wisdom. And we spend the first half of this series just comparing the wisdom of God with the wisdom of man. And we looked at a lot of different scriptures in, in both the Old and especially the New Testament about the Gospel being the wisdom of God, Christ being the wisdom of God, this treasure that we have in us, and that uh, we have Christ. And so, and based on that, foundation of talking about wisdom, because when we really talk about wisdom, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about who we are in Christ. We're talking about the spirit of God, because he's a spirit of wisdom. We're talking about the nature of God. And God has built a house. We are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it talks about, and, and, and uh, go and get into our scriptures this morning, the second half of our series on wisdom we're basing it off of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1, where it says, Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn out her seven pillars. There are seven pillars in the house of wisdom. I could tie, tie all this into in the book of Revelation. We'll look at this in a few weeks when we get there. But it says, you know, there's seven attributes to the Spirit of God. And we'll be looking at that as well when we get to the new series on seeing Jesus in the Revelation. We'll take a look at that. Anyway, wisdom has built her house, and she has seven pillars. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Solomon outlines those seven pillars. And we've already talked about knowledge and understanding, and how they also work together. And actually, all seven of these work together. All seven of these built the house. And you can imagine a house you need all seven pillars. You take out one pillar and you got Houston, you have a problem. We need all seven pillars and they need to function properly. But they also they work in harmony, but also certain certain of these pillars also work in closer harmony with each other, like knowledge and understanding. And then the last week that we talked about this, we left off and talked about judgment. And we're gonna uh, I'm gonna re reiterate a few things this morning just about that because Judgment works real closely with the two pillars we're going to look at today, and that is justice and equity. 
We're going to look at justice and equity. And we're not talking about equity in your home. Um, we're not talking, we'll, we'll see what the scripture has to say about equity. Equi equity. Excuse me, I couldn't get that word out. And then when we come back next week, and we'll start looking at discretion. And if we have time, we'll get into the last pillar, which will be a little challenge, just like judgment, and that is subtlety. Usually we think of subtlety in a negative contents. We're going to be looking at it in a positive contents. And we're going to see what the scripture says about that as far as it being a pillar in the house of wisdom. Okay, so a little bit of a recap uh, of where we are. So, real quickly, ju just before I get into justice and equity, I just want to recap a couple things from judgment. Like I said a few weeks ago, judgment can be a very confusing and difficult pillar to understand, especially in the, under the, uh, the, uh, the lives of grace, if I can say that that way. Uh, we who are other, we understand grace. We understand that we are the righteousness of God in Him. And hopefully we'll see how, how, how judgment and justice work together with the gospel. And we'll see that. You know, and let me just say this off the bat. Christ was judged for our sins. The wrath of God judged our sins in Christ. And because of that, we are justified. And true, as people who want justice, in a sense, if you want justice, we all deserve hell. But Jesus was our propitiation. He was our lamb who was sacrificed for us. And the sins of the world came on Christ. And Christ died. And Christ was judged on our behalf. And based on that, he came to fulfill our righteousness. And based on that judgment of the wrath of God on Christ on our behalf, it is now just to justify us. And declare us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If we understand that, that will set us free. That is wisdom. That is the gospel. Okay? And that is also how we should see one another. But judgment is a, it can be a very confusing thing. And a lot of people have taught through the years that we are not to judge. And that, that, that phrase, that statement is actually inaccurate. It would actually... It may come from someone who has not searched the scriptures properly, and, and uh, although their hearts might not be revolting against God, but there's error in that statement. For example, let's just uh, look at John 7.24. I'm not going to rehash that whole message on judgment. Uh, you can go to our website and look at the, our last message on that. But uh, in John 7, 24, Jesus says this, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. There is a way we are not to judge, and there is a way we are to judge. We are not to judge by appearance. We talked a few weeks ago, we are not to be to rush to judgment. We are not to be unrighteous in our judgment. We are not to be critical. We are not to condemn. We are not to belittle one another. But there is a righteous judgment. And uh, we, we took, took a lot of look at that. There is a righteous and sound judgment. And it's based on the word of God. It's based on the heart of God. It's based on truth, which is the character of God, the nature of God. And, it's, and when you have a reason, and we talk a lot about wisdom and, and from, as having a relationship with God. 
and having a relationship with God and allowing His nature, His seed, His nature to work in us and through us, we will implement and we will invoke righteous, sound judgment that is not condemning, it's not belittling, it's not critical, but it's edifying. It's edifying to the body of Christ. And it, at times it's going to deal with some issues. Arthur Mencia is one of our favorite speakers and teachers. You can't understand the gospel. You can't understand the grace and mercy of God if you don't first understand the judgment of God. God judged sin. And now His grace and mercy, He has given us a full pardon. He has justified us in Christ Jesus. Hopefully that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But let me just say this again. I've been saying this throughout this whole series, especially in this part about the pillars of wisdom. We cannot operate in any of these pillars of wisdom independent of a relationship with God. We cannot judge people righteously independent of a relationship with God. It won't happen. That makes sense? Um, but we also have looked, taken a look at the definition of judgment. Judgment is to evaluate. To judge is to render an opinion. It's interesting to me that those who say do not judge render an opinion about not judging. We all judge. We all, uh, let me just finish the definitions. To judge means to discern, to determine, to decide. We are all judging. Whether it be a righteous judgment or judging by appearance. But we need to learn how to, by, out of a relationship with God. God is a judge. And he judges righteously. God, we also talked about, when we talk about judgment, we don't have any business judging outside the church. But we do have a business of judging within the church. Again, not condemning them. Not belittling them. Not being critical. Not rushing to judgment. Not judging by appearance. But there is a righteous and sound judgment that will build her house. That will build the house of wisdom. And as we studied early on in this whole series, that the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is from God, is pure. It's peaceful. It's full of mercy. It's, you, can be, you can reason with that person. You can entreat with that person. It's without hypocrisy. It edifies. It builds up the house of God. In other words, let me just say this. You cannot operate in any of these pillars of wisdom, including judgment, without the Spirit of God. You cannot under you cannot issue you cannot execute righteous, sound judgment without the Spirit of God. That includes discerning. That includes making decisions. We need the Spirit of God. Jesus did nothing without spending time with the Father. He that's how he made decisions. That's how he that's how I know who I am. That's how I know what is air and what is of God. That's how I know whether I should go right or left or whatever the decision should be made. That's how I know who I should associate with and who I should be equally yoked with and who I should not be equally yoked with. We need judgment in how to, to, to parent our children. We need, to, we need judgment how to be in, in our marriages. We need marriage. How many of you know in this society, in, these, in this hour that we live in, we need righteous, sound judgment? There are many voices. There are many things being said. There are many things being taught through society, through our culture, through the media, even through our educational system. And we need 
righteous, sound judgment. If we're going to be successful in our marriages, if we're going to be successful in our careers, if we're going to have any quality of life, we're going to need good, sound judgment so that we can glorify God in our lives. That making sense? So I say all that as a little recap of judgment as we get into these next two pillars, justice and equity. I'm probably going to spend a little more time on justice and then equity, but you'll see how these tie together. Again, just righteous judgment is based on the heart of God. It's based on the word of God. It's based on truth. It's based on the character of God and the nature of God. But justice is a twin sister to judgment. It's a twin sister. Just like knowledge and understanding work, and all seven of these pillars work together, don't get me wrong, but just like knowledge and understanding work closer together, justice and judgment and also equity, we're going to see how all three of these work together. Okay? But let me just say some things. Justice in our culture, in our society, in our culture, is upside down. And many, and because of that, many have never really heard or even seen true justice. That makes sense? So sometimes when we're even talking about judgment, and we're talking about justice, so many times we are looking through the lens of what our culture and our society, and sometimes even our upbringing, has given us an example of. And it's not the Word of God. It's not the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of man. And James says the wisdom of God, man, is earthly, essential, and it's demonic. And so it's either from God or it's not of God. That's why I started this whole series comparing the wisdom of God with the wisdom of man. So you can, you'll see how, you'll know it by its fruit. But justice is the righteous execution of judgment. It's, justice is a non-biased judgment. And I don't know about you, but there's times I have to deal with the biasness in my heart. I don't know if that word biasness is a word, but I'll make it a word. Sometimes I have to deal with bias in my heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes in certain situations I have to work on some biases. There's some things I am biased about, and I don't have a problem with that. I am a bias towards my wife. I am biased towards my family and friends. I'm biased towards God. That makes sense? Okay, I'm making sense with some of that. But there are some other issues where bias, uh, my bias can become a problem in making justice or executing righteous judgment. And I have to be careful. I need the Lord to help me discern and know what's coming from, because uh, what is flesh is flesh and what is spirit is spirit. I need the Spirit of God to discern, you know what, your flesh is getting away. You're making a judgment, you're making justice based on what you feel, and not based on my nature. We need the Word of God to, to, so we can execute righteous judgment. See, today, justice is vengeance. Today, in our culture, justice is immoral. It's unjust. And, but justice is showing no favoritism. Justice is holding all to the same standard, or the same rule. That's huge. And our, our justice system, our culture, our society... And uh, does not hold everyone to the same standard. That is not just. That is not executing judgment justly. That makes sense? Uh, justice is impartial judgment. 
and to find God's word impartially. God's word applies to all. If I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so are you. If you have received Christ. That makes sense? And with justice and judgment, you'll understand this. It's a pillar in God's house. Now, I'm going to get into some scriptures in just a minute. But real quickly, I want to look at something here. And just before I go there, I know that's sideways. Just ignore that for a moment. But have you ever noticed medically? The symbol they use for the medical is a serpent, a serpent wrapped around a pole. That comes from Moses, that comes from the Bible. Well, there's also a symbol, if I can get my iPad to work here. Excuse me, one moment. My iPad is, I don't know where that's coming from. seen on my iPad and what I've seen on the screen are two different things, so that's where I have to scroll to. Anyway, hopefully I'm not bored here with this. But this is a symbol for justice. And I'm going to highlight three things before, just before I get to the scriptures, because I want to highlight some things. Three things about this lady of justice. One is the blind, she's blindfolded. She has a sword. Some renderings of this. She has a scroll. I'll go with that. And then, uh, uh, she has skills. So she's blindfolded, she has a sword or a scroll, and she has some skills. I gotta deal with all three of these real quick, okay? That, that makes sense? Are you okay with that just for a moment? Yes. So, let's just pause this for a moment. Well, actually, I don't, I don't want to confuse it anymore, and I get confused. First of all, I want to deal with the blindfold. She's blindfolded, but let me just make this statement. She's not blind. Okay, she's not blind, but she's blindfolded. There's a difference. Okay? She's blindfolded because she chooses to judge not based on appearance. Remember John 7, 24, don't judge by appearance, but make righteous judgment. Now, I know this is a, uh, a worldly image, but I just want to point out some things. But she, she chooses to judge not based on appearance, but based on the law, or based on truth. She wants to judge justly, okay? It's called blind justice. She, and, and blind justice is being impartial. Blind justice is being objective. It, she's colorblind. She's not, she's not going to judge based on ginger. She's not going to judge based on race. She's not going to judge based on uh, class structure. Justice should be meted out objectively, not with fear, without fear of favoritism. Justice should be regard is regardless of identity, personal wealth, or power or weakness. She knows that she can be influenced by her appearance. She knows she can be influenced by speculation or limited facts, but she wants to just. Judge justly, impartially. That's where the blindfold comes in. 
Now we have the sword and we have the scroll. Let me deal with the scroll first. The scroll what, speaks of knowledge and understanding. You cannot make righteous judgment without knowledge and understanding. Okay? We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know the Word of God. We have to have the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of truth, so we can have spirit, the Spirit of wisdom. That's what we're talking about, wisdom and justice. But the sword speaks of, is a symbol of power. It's a symbol of protection, authority, and might. But it's a two-edged sword. That reminds us that it can be for us, or it can also be against us. In other words, it reminds us the need for consequences in a civil society. Now, what I'm talking about sounds very worldly. And I'm going to use some scriptures here to support what I'm trying to say. But we, if you don't have punishment and consequences in a civil society, you will have chaos. And you will have anarchy. For example, if someone's going around killing people, then we need to have a system to apprehend that person and lock them up a while. Because they, they're being harmful to society. We, there are certain activities, if you can't behave yourself in a civil society, then we, there needs to be some consequences to that. There needs to be a sword. But, a, but a, how you know, those who make the laws should also be subject to the same laws. I'm talking about on the civil level right now. In other words, you cannot have mercy without punishment. If you don't understand judgment, if you don't understand, you, can't, you cannot have mercy if there's no punishment. There's nothing to have mercy for. Before. You can't have mercy without punishment. It, it doesn't exist. How can you be show mercy to something whether you're not saved from, you're not pardoned from anything? That makes sense? Okay, just on that level. But uh, real quickly, go with me to Romans chapter 13. And then I'm going to give it the scales. And then I'm going to bring some other scriptures and tie this in. Just bear with me to bring some of these things out about lady justice. Okay? It's a symbol in our, in our justice system. And yet we don't, our justice system doesn't even um, respect its own symbol. So Romans 13, and we're going to, I'm going to pick it, uh, excuse me, sorry, Romans 13, we'll start in verse 1. To so let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This is Paul speaking, New Testament, where there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to, to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be un, unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. And for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, there's a lot here I can bring out. Now, although 
He's talking about civil authority. He's talking about civil governments. God has ordained that. Now, that doesn't mean there's not corrupt government. And I believe verse 4, these ministers that it's talking about are cops. At many different levels and, 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 and uh, um, branches. But, uh, but, you know, let me just say a couple things in my notes here. God has ordained civil authorities. And God has ordained civil governments. Yes, not all governments are godly. But without civil authority, there would be chaos. There would be anarchy. Okay? And even with cops, there are bad cops. But let me just say this off the record. It is not okay to disrespect a cop. It is not okay to disrespect civil authority. That makes sense? I'm, saying, I'm not saying there's not some corruption out there. And we should, as a society, even, even as a church, deal with that and address that. There's a right way to do that. But we don't deal with injustice by being injustice about it. That make sense? I, I get a little ahead of myself because a lot of that comes out with the scales. Okay? Uh, but cops are good. Now, I know there's some corrupt cops, but the cops are good. He, he is God's minister to you. But if... For, for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's ministers and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all who do, taxes to whom taxes are due, Customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to get into all of this. I'm not trying to get into a civil lesson here. But uh, the Bible does talk about civil authorities. Paul talks about it. He's Rome. And I'm sure the Roman government was corrupt of all corruption. But Paul is talking about, and he's writing to the Romans here, and, and Paul is saying that we are to submit to civil authorities. Obviously, we're not going to disobey God. We're not going to do anything that is contrary to the Word of God. That's another message. But we're not going to do that. We're going to deal justice. But we are going to give honor where honor is due. We're going to pay taxes where taxes are due. Okay? Uh, but let me just make this statement. No matter what the world does, or where the world goes, I need to be, I need these pillars including judgment, including justice, to be established in my heart. I need to act justly to one another. I need to act justly to civil government. We will be a church. We will be a house. These seven pillars build a house. And we will be established in the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. That make sense? We also need justice not only how we treat one another, no matter what the world does, we as a church, we as the children of God, we as the sons of Abraham, true Israel, because if you are Christ, you are children of Abraham's and heirs according to the promises, says in Galatians 3.29, 
then we as the children of God, we will act justly to one another. We will act justly to civil authority. You can agree and you can do it in a justly manner. That's the important We need to also have justice in how we will relate to the world. That make sense? Uh, so I just say that off, off the bat. You know, again, justice is a pillar of wisdom. We're talking about the wisdom of God. Now let's look at the scales real quick. The scales is the balance of an individual against the needs of society. A fair balance between the interests of one individual and those of another. And actually, the scales speak a lot of equity, which we're going to look at in just a moment. It's about fairness. Let me just make these statements. Civil rights never come at the expense of society. We can never commit injustice in the name of justice. That's why abortion is wrong. Yes, a woman has rights, but her rights do not overcome the, the rights of that child in society. That makes sense? And that's why abortion is wrong, among, not, not to mention murder. But uh, we never commit injustice in the name of justice. An individual's rights never come at the expense of society. Okay? We must stand against corruption in government. We need to render respect and honor to those who deserve our respect and honor. Even to those who are in corrupt authority. Saul became a wicked king. David still honored him. Paul lived in a corrupt government, Rome, and, 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 and other corrupt governments. But he taught that we ought to respect and honor civil authorities. Those who who make the laws need to be subject to the same laws. I've already said that. Okay? Let's move on. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 28. Let's look at some scripture, okay? So I'm done with Lady Justice right now. And now we're going get, to get to some scriptures. That make sense? But I just thought it was valuable to even look at that. And I believe it's in a very similar way that the serpent on the pole is using medical as a symbol for medical. Lady Justice, is, there's also some biblical things. We're going to see this in, this in, in a few moments here. Proverbs 28, we'll pick up verse 4. It says, those who forsake the law, the law can be represented as, as the word of God, but those who forsake the law and the word of God praise the wicked. But such as keep the law, contend with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. These are some very powerful statements of Solomon. I want to read it again. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. But such as keep the law contend with them. I just want to make some comments here in verse 4. Again, those who forsake his word. Those who forsake truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Those who forsake God's word, God's nature, his word, his principles, his precepts, his law, will praise the wicked. We've seen that. We've seen that in the world. We've seen that in the church. We've seen that in many forms of government. Those who keep the law will contend with them. They will contend with darkness. See, let me just make the statement. Darkness knows no end. Darkness will keep getting dark and dark and dark. It will never be satisfied. 
The only way to remove darkness is to turn the light on. Light is stronger than darkness. And light will contend with darkness. It won't back away. It won't hide itself underneath a bushel. It will shine. That makes sense? Look at Daniel. Look at Joseph. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at David. Look at Abraham. And many other examples we have throughout Scripture. When darkness prevailed, light shined. That's justice. They love God's word. The wicked man, even Israel at times, had wicked kings that did not honor God's law, did not honor God's word. And there was and they praised wickedness. But those who love God, those who keep his word, will contend with that darkness. Verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand all. See, evil men, the world, those who don't understand God, those who don't have a relationship with God, don't understand justice. Sometimes, in other words, even in context where we're reading, some people don't want to make waves. I'm not here to make waves. I have no desire or appetite for that. I don't want that. But at the same point in time, I'm not a coward. And I am going to stand up for the word of God. That makes sense? Hopefully I'm not saying that right. But I'm also, I'm a child of God. And I will contend with darkness. My wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but my wrestle is against principalities and powers. And we're going to see some things in a moment. I will contend with darkness. I'm not against the people, but I'm not going to praise wickedness. That makes sense? That's why I'm going to stand against abortion. That's why I'm going to stand against certain wickedness in our society, and even in the church when I see it. I'm going to stand against it, because I am a child of God. Oh, we are making sense with this. Let's go to Psalm 82. You know, it gets even stronger. Psalm 82. And we'll pick it up in verse 1. The title of this, whoever wrote the Bible I'm reading, is a, well, not God wrote the Bible, but uh, whoever, whoever, whoever edition of this was a plea for justice, a psalm of Asaph. And God stands in the congregation of the mighty, and he judges among the gods. And how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. And the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, Lord G. And all of you are children of the Most High. But you, not, you, you shall die like man and fall like one of the princess. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nation. Now, a couple things I want to bring out here in Psalm 82, verse 12, verse 2, is how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Verse 3 says, defend the poor 
and the families do justice to the afflicted and the needy, deliver the poor and the needy, free them from the wicked hand of the wicked. You know, um, this is a plea to God for justice. Let me know that we're creating God's image and we're creating God's likeness. We are not to accept the person and the, 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 the wickedness. We're not, we're the, um, uh, there's a point I'm trying to make here. But so many times we have done what God says not to do. And we don't do what God says don't do. We are to Especially this part where we are to defend the poor and the bottomless. There's a lot here, and, I, and there's a lot of scripture I could talk about. James talks about, in the, in the context, he's talking about faith without works is dead. He talks about it's wrong to say to the, the poor, go get yourself some food or whatever. We are the clothing, we are the feet. We are the minister to them. Faith without works is dead. And we are the, yes, we are to pray for the poor. We're to pray for the fatherless. But there comes a point when we need to do something. One of our biggest things, Sherry and I, is when we meet people. We, uh, we just went on a cruise and uh, had a nice vacation. But we always try to find one or two people we can bless. And I'm not sure, I don't know always their background. It's not always because they're poor, but sometimes they may be. Or maybe they're going to do something. But, but, uh, but when we do find someone who's needy, when God does give us a divine appointment to connect with someone, our heart is to help meet a need. And so many times we run into people, if there's anything we could ever do, please let us know. I might not be able to save all of the starfish on that come up on the seashore, but I can save the ones that God has brings me in connection with. I can minister to those God brings me into their lives. And I can defend them in the sense of spiritually speaking. I can not just pray for them, but I can minister to them. I can minister God's word and salvation. I can pray for them. Jesus sent out the twelve. He sent out the seventy that go heal the sick, cast out demons. I can defend them in that regard. In some cases, I might even be able to advocate for them in other systems of government and make a stand for them, depending on what the case may be. But we have a... In other words, so many times we can get so narrow-minded and all we see is our world and our lives and we have no regard for other people. We'll pray for them from a distance. So we won't get our we won't get our feet dirty, we won't get our hands dirty. But sometimes we need to do something. Sometimes we need to get our hands dirty, and sometimes we need to defend them. See, so many times in our world of injustice and corruption, politicians will deceive the poor like pawns, and then the poor will empower the, the politicians, and then the politicians turn around to oppress the poor. We see that so many times in society. But justice, justice disallows the, the powerful to abuse, to abuse the powerless. In other words, I'm trying to paint a picture. We need to do what is right. 
We're not just talking about our own lives not doing much wrong and sin. But James also says that he who does, knows what to do but doesn't do it is sin. And not trying to focus so much on sin, but there's justice. It's not just... It's executing righteous judgment. But it's also being the church, being the body of Christ, being the, the house of God, that God has ordained us. Even says when he sent out the twelve and said, When you go to the house, bless the house that you're we should be making a difference. We should be speaking life. I'm not saying that to lord it over us and, and give us a bunch of uh, uh, obligations that we need to do, but we that should be our desire, that should be our heart. Jesus didn't do anything without spending time with the Father. And as we spend time with our Father out of relationship, the wisdom of God will show us how we can be a light, how the excellency is of God and not of us, and we can show His glory and His life and show justice. The enemy is lording it over people that they have to be poor, that they have to struggle, that they have to have marriage difficulties, that they have to have these problems, that we can speak life and we can defend them against the enemy who is speaking them lies in their lives. And, and we have power in the church over all principalities and powers in, the, in this world and even society where, where we can speak life in the situation. I've known people who've been treated unjustly, even in our justice system and different systems, and they're fine where I can't do anything physically, but I can do something spiritually, and I can pray, and I can overcome these strongholds. We just got a phone call this week about a friend who was going through something unjustly in the, in the, in the, in the court system, and we got news that there was some turnaround. There was, there was justice being done. Praise God. Besides, we can't do anything in the natural, but there's things we can do in the spiritual. And, then I, then I, and, and there's all kinds of scenarios. But we can execute righteous, sound justice. Because we are the children of God. That's awesome. If you think about it. Let me just make one more point. Verse 6. He says, I said you are God. And all of your children are the most high. God's little G. When did he say you are God's? Well, he did say in verse 1, if you go back and read it. And Jesus says this, and actually, go with me real quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but John 10.34 Jesus answered them, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? Little G. Jesus is quoting from the law. Their law says that we are God's children of the Most High. Where is that recorded? Well, go with me to Exodus chapter 22. Jesus is quoting. I mean, even though there's only one God, one true God. 
But Exodus 22, verse 9 says, For any kind of trespasses, whether it concerns an ox or a donkey or a sheep or clothing or, or any kind of lost thing, which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. And that's a word that's used for God's. And whoever the judges condemned shall pay double to his neighbor. Go, scroll down to verse uh, 28. I'll get dizzy as I scroll on the screen. But you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler. That's the word that's translated God, that Jesus translated God, ruler of your people. And again, I don't want to make a lot, a lot of things about this, but let me just say this. There's only one true God. I rather you uh, focus their eyes. We are children of the God, God, God Most High. We are children of God. Amen. And with that position, with that authority, we have authority in earth. That said, Revelation chapter five, verse nine, that we He has redeemed us by His blood. He has made us kings and priests to rule the earth. We have rulership, we have stewardship, we have partnership in this world. God gave us authority that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. We have authority as the children of the Most High God. And whatever people are going through, we as the children of God, and even little G gods, I don't want to get complicated with that, I don't want to make that a, a big controversial thing, Jesus talked about it. He referred to it in the law. Uh, 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 Psalm 82 talks about it. But we are here to defend the poor. We are here to preach salvation to the end of the earth. We are here to, we have been given authority. We have been redeemed as the children of God. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are blessed and not cursed. We are authority. And we are not subject to any other authority in that sense. We will honor other authorities. We're not here to usurp authority. We're not here to do injustice in the name of justice. We are not here to riot. We are not here to become a problem. We're not here, we're not here to condemn and be critical and belittle. We are to respect authority. But we also are the king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we have authority to heal the sick and the the, the septic tapestry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to heal the sick, to heal the brokenhearted in the septic tapestry. When I think of this, I think of Isaiah 61, where the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. How many of you know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength? And we have authority in our relationship with God. And, and going back to Psalm 82, real quick, verse 8, and to the rise of God, judge the earth. For you shall inherit the nation. So God is after the nations. God is not just after your family, your poor, no more. God is after the nations. God is after your brother. God is after your sister. God is after your neighbor. God is after those, those sandpaper people in your life, your enemies and whatnot. God wants to reach them. God wants to minister to them. Are you making sense with some of this? I know some of this can be a little heavy. Go with me to Genesis chapter 18. Verses 18 19. We're talking about Abraham here. And since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. 
For I have known him in order that he may not suggest, but command his children and keep his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Abraham commanded his kids. The Bible says in Galatians 3.29, if we are Christ and we are children of Abraham. Abraham has commanded his kids, his household, to keep the way of the Lord and to do just and judgment. Otherwise, it says in the very last part of verse 19, otherwise Abraham would not have become the father of many nations. If, if Abraham did not command his kids to, to, uh, um, to do righteousness and justice, the Lord would not be able to bring to Abraham what he had spoken to him. That's powerful. That's a little deep to chew on that. It's by the grace of God. But Abraham also had a responsibility to apply the word of God and to act justly. I mean, Micah 6, uh, I wasn't planning on going here, but if you have your Bibles, you can show me to Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8 says, And he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? One more scripture, and then we'll go on to equity. First Samuel, or no, Second Samuel, pardon me. Chapter 8, verse 15. Talk about King David. And so David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. David was a king of Israel. Are we too not kings and priests that God has redeemed? Are we too not true Israel? And we are to execute judgment and justice to the people. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people, and maybe some of it's because of their own doing. But they have not received justice. And they need justice. Maybe they have done things wrong. But he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteous of God. God has reversed the curse. And although they might have done wrong, Jesus paid the price. And we just need to come and speak the truth. And we need to come and help them walk in that truth. So they don't have to continue to live under the bondage and things that they're living in unjustly. That makes sense? So for those of us who understand the gospel, understand we are free in Christ. We're not free to live in sin, but we're free from sin. And we can also, God also always restores, and he always restores double. And people need to hear the gospel so that justice can be done, and they can be set free, and they can also receive twofold back what they have lost. It says in Isaiah 61 that he will receive double honor instead of shame. Okay, let's move on to equity real quick. There's a lot more I can bring out of justice, but I'm going to tie this in with equity. Just as judgment and 
justice are twin sisters. Equity is a big sister. You ever, you ever, if you ever see three sisters, sometimes the biggest and the older sister is already not being every family. I know it's not with Sherry's family. She has three, there's three sisters. But sometimes when you get the older sister, the older sister can sometimes be the bossy one. And it might not be in every family. I know, I know it's not with Sherry's family. But uh, at the same point in time, sometimes the older sibling can be the bossy one. Okay? But anyway, she's a big sister. Let me just say this. In the house of wisdom, God's house, equity is a quality of being fair and impartial. Equity is fairness. That's the key word about equity. It's reasonableness. Um, actually, before I get into that definition, I want to go back to that big sister. Sorry, I hope I'm not being confusing. One reason I say equity is a big sister because equity is what makes judgment and justice work. You cannot operate in righteous judgment and invoke healthy, righteous justice without equity. While judgment and justice is what we do, equity is how we do it. I know these are some big definitions, that's why I want to go back to some of this first. Equity is, I'm going to say a couple things again and over again. Equity is what makes judgment and justice work in our lives. You cannot operate in righteous judgment and invoke healthy, righteous judgment or justice without equity. And while judgment and justice is what we do, equity is how we do it. With that foundation, let me go back to defining what equity is. Equity is the quality of being fair and impartial. Equity is fairness. Equity is being reasonable. Have you ever had talk to, try, tried to talk to some people and they weren't even, you can't even reason with Both in authority and those who are not authority, and they're just arrogant or whatever the case may be. But you can't reason with them. That's not equity. Equity is honest. Equity is uprightness. Equity, this is a big word, straightness. They'll be straight with you. You know, some of my favorite speakers and pastors are those who will just tell me like it is. That's one reason I like Andrew Womack, Dwayne Sheriff, Austin Purdue, Arthur Minches, Barry Bennett. You know, with all grace and mercy, with all justice, but they will also show equity. They are straight with you. They are honest with you. If there's a, they'll, what they need to tell you, there might be a steam to it. They won't take out the steam, but they'll sure sandwich it with grace and mercy. That makes sense? Equity is a moral character and integrity. In this culture, in this hour in our society, it's hard to be honest in a culture like ours. And it's hard to find people. See, in a in a society where uh, where it's taboo to not be politically correct, it's hard to be one who's 
administer judgment and justice with fairness and honesty. Equity is a set of standards that don't vacillate based on personal feelings. That makes sense? In other words, equity is our moral compass. It's our adherence to a moral and ethical principles. There's some, because of equity, I'm not going to be moved from some of my, my, it's my moral compass. I'm not going to be moved. There's, because of, you see this again in people like Andrew Womack, Blossom Purdue, Dwayne Sheriff, whatnot, uh, Barry Bennett. They're equity, it's their moral compass. That makes sense? And again, you cannot have equity, you cannot exercise this pillar without a relationship with God. Without a relationship with Word. Because where do you think Andrew and all these people get their moral compass? It's from the Word of God. It's from a relationship with God. And it's their moral compass how they're going to deal with issues in their ministries and issues, issues in their life, issues in their marriages, issues in, in, in society, and how they deal with the body of Christ in the world. And they're going to deal with equity based on a relationship with God. Equity deals with who you are and the equitable treatment of others. I don't know where I'm pronouncing that word right. Equity is honest. It's fair. It's righteous. It's just in judgment. It's justice. <coughs> While you may be doing something really bad and wrong, my judgment is that it is really bad and it's really wrong. If you did something if you did something wrong or bad, I'm going to judge that if that was wrong and that was wrong. It was bad. That is judgment, okay? In, in our society, remember we've been talking about it throughout this whole series, our society wants to call what's evil good and good evil. It's backwards. It's upside down. Judgment and ju will, will say what is wrong. It's help, it will help you discern and to, to render what is wrong and what is right. And you're only going to be able to make good, righteous judgment by the, by the Word of God. But although, with the relationship with God, although judgment will say, this is wrong and this is bad, any injustice that needs to be invoked in the situation may be properly. But this is what equity does. And listen to this real quick. I know... Judgment will tell you what is wrong. And there may be necessary justice to be invoked in that situation. But this is what equity says. Equity would enter into the situation and say, I know what you did was wrong. But I've done worse. God loved me. God forgave me. Now let's get it right. Are you hearing that? Equ Although... Judgment will say that was wrong. Equity will come in and say, I've done bad too. God forgave me. God loved me. Now let's get it right. 
Let's turn to Isaiah 59. Hopefully I'm making sense of this. This is sometimes hard to teach. And I'm trying to show the gospel in this. Because I believe it's the wisdom of God. It's the spirit of wisdom. Isaiah 59, beginning verse 9. Now, Isaiah is an interesting book. But I, and Isaiah is, is dealing with a nation that has sinned really bad. They have messed up. So much that they lost their nation. They became exiles. Right after we are done with Isaiah 59 here, we're going to hear some, actually in the context of talking about prophecies about Christ. But Israel, because of what they had done wrong, they were a train wreck with casualties. Sin will kill you. Christ has redeemed us from sin. But sin will still have civil and, and uh, nasty consequences. Sin will open an inroad to Satan to do things. For example, even though you can get forgiveness from God for adultery or, or some type of fornication, how I many of you know the ripple effect? And how it can destroy lives and marriages and families. It's still in that sin. God can heal all that. But sin has, it is still dangerous. But, and so that's the kind of context we're entering here. But Isaiah 59, we'll look at verse 9. It says, Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. We're brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for injustice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. You know, there's a lot of people have met that feel like that because of what they've done. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, as far as our iniquities we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolting, conceiving and utterly from the heart words of falsehood. Verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. But truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. I'm hoping to tie this in. Verse 12 and 13. Again, it says, For transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us, and our transgressions are with us. As far as our iniquities, we know them. And transgression and lying, verse 2 especially, and transgression and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression, revolt, and conceiving utterly from the heart words of falsehood. This whole, all this lying and falsehood. I don't know about you, but it, 
it, it describes our culture today. Our culture, especially the media and politicians and government, there's nothing but lies, deceits, falsehood. Our country is acting very much like Israel did back in the day when they, they lost their nation. It's sometimes even hard in this culture of lying and deceit to find even a good church that will tell you the truth, that will be bare, preach the gospel. Luckily, since we found Andrew and ministers associated with his ministry, we don't usually have a difficulty. But those who, those who don't have not found good churches, those who haven't found good ministers, can have a hard time finding a place that will speak the truth. But verse 14 says, See, let me just say this. When we are not pursuing God, part of this first part of this message was about wisdom is crying out in the streets. We need to pursue wisdom. And, and with all you didn't get understanding. But when we're not pursuing a relationship with God, when, and we're not going to have the wisdom of God. We're not going to have judgment. We're not going to have justice. We're not going to have equity. And when, when wisdom is not the wisdom of God, the wisdom of man is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man is sensual, it's earthly, it's demonic. We've been talking about that. But the wisdom that's from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's willing to be entreated. It's, uh, it's full of mercy and without partiality. Our world, our society, and even some churches are exercising the wisdom of man and not the wisdom of God. The, 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 the traditions of man have made the word of God of no effect. And when, and you can see this, and I'm trying to, I'm using this passage in Isaiah to paint a picture of what it's like when we are not operating in the wisdom of God. I'm hoping to do a little reverse psychology here with this, this, this passage. And that, that makes sense with See, when you are void of the wisdom of God, verse 14 describes what it will look like. Justice is turned backwards. Actually, let me just uh, go to the King James here real quick. Judgment is turned away backward. And justice stands afar off. And truth is fallen in the street. And equity is turned. We are, I'm, one of the reasons I'm there's multiple reasons why I'm even teaching this message or this series about wisdom. Because well, one of those reasons because of the hour we're living in these last days. We need to discern what God not. But we have a nation, we have a culture at large where judgment is turned backwards. Justice is Truth is fallen in the streets, and equity can't even enter. You ever have a comment? We actually, we actually met someone on the cruise, I'm not going to go detail, but you could not reason with this person. You could not show equity couldn't even enter, fairness, straightness, honesty couldn't even enter. I don't know about you, but I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in this church. I don't want that in my home. And no matter what the world does, I want to say, I'm not going to live like that. I want judgment. I want justice. 
I, I want judgment to, to go forward. I want justice to be embraced. I want truth. I want equity to be able to enter. But when we're not walking with God, when we're not operating in the wisdom of God, that is what it will look like. With all the, I even heard, listened to the part of a message from Billy Graham the other day, and he was talking about all the social injustice in the world. There's a lot of social injustice in our society today. But the wisdom of God, the Spirit of God, the house of wisdom that He has ordained us to build will put judgment in the right order. No matter what the world does, I will act like I will walk in good judgment, righteous judgment, execute and invoke righteous judgment. And I will share, I will be fair and equitable with other people. I will speak in truth. I will be honest. I will, it will be my moral compass. No matter what the world does, no matter what people do, no matter what other Christians or religions come to me and tell me otherwise, I will let the word of God and my God be my standard of judgment, justice, and equity. That makes sense? See, he, uh, verse 14, let me go back to the New King James. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. I want to highlight a few things here in verse 15. He who departs from evil becomes a prey. We see this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see this with Daniel. We see this with all the apostles. We see this in our day. And even in this church as small as it is, and even on this cruise ship, we had one person who we became a prey to. Because we refused. We departed from evil. And when we depart from evil, you will become my prey. Anytime someone decides to be a man of integrity, of high moral character, which is what equity is, he becomes a prey to the enemy. In a culture, in a world where there is no integrity, in a culture, in a society where character is not important, any moral standard is offensive to people. And actually, there's a lot of people today, just because we're moral, we are offensive. That is a culture where judgment is backwards. Justice is afar off, and equity cannot enter. Just by being a Christian. Just, I mean, one person got offended this week because just because they, they prayed for the food, they got offended. And, and that's how... That's how bad, that, that tells me how far away they've gotten from the Lord and whatnot. But it also says here in verse 15 that it displeased the Lord that there was no judgment, there was no justice. I don't want to end it on a negative note, but how many of you know that Jesus was judged for us? 
so that we can be justified before God. Church, we need to have equity. And not just have a moral compass, a moral standard of integrity. But we need to teach the truth to people. We need to tell them God loves you. We need to tell them the grace, teach them the grace of God, the mercy of God. We need, this is making sense. We need to teach the truth of love. My heart is that people are free. I don't know about you, but I used to be in what I call spiritual bondage. I kept trying to do right to become right. And when I found out I was right because of what Christ did, that set me free. We need to have equity, straightness, and, and, and tell people the truth, no matter whether it's received or not by society. We're here to offer people life. We're here to offer people salvation. We've had people offended because we want to pray for this and set them free. We've had people offended because we're saying that we shouldn't love one another. We've had people offended for different reasons. But I'm going to teach the gospel. I'm going to teach the truth. I'm going to minister to people the truth. I mean, most of us who are even hearing when I'm saying people got offended are, it boggles our mind. How could people offended over that? Because they, there is no justice. There is no judgment. They don't have a relationship with God. And that's dangerous. And even though we might get our hands slapped or worse, but we're going to tell people Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. There was this one, one person on the ship that was being difficult in some of our Bible studies we were having. But at the end, one, one of the last conversations that we were able to have with her, we asked her, do you know that Jesus died for you? That he is the Son of God. Jesus loves you. We tried to show grace and mercy. She didn't show any signs of receiving it. But we were still trying to be just in, in our judgment. As well as showing equity. Because that's the big sister. I mean, we know you can be just in your, just in your judgment. But you don't do it fairness. You don't do it with equity. We need all seven pillars working on us. We need to call sin, sin, where it's sin. We need to say, some things have been wrong, they will be wrong, and they will always be wrong. Abortion is wrong. Murder is wrong. Gossip is wrong. Slander is wrong. Other things, they're wrong. But Jesus made what was wrong, right. Jesus gave us salvation. Jesus gave us his righteousness. Jesus justified us if we receive Christ. That, that doesn't mean we keep sinning. No, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. We are right to righteousness and sin not. But even though we, and when we communicate the gospel with all fairness, with all integrity, and we teach people the truth, where you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, but you got to know the truth. And we need people to know the truth. And some people's truth is in the streets. It's time to resurrect the truth and teach the truth to people. The days are evil. Jesus is coming soon. 
And we want to take as many people with us. Amen? Amen. I know I'm saying a lot of different things. Next week we'll pick up with discussion. And hopefully we'll get into subtlety. And we'll be finishing this series real soon. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. We thank you for the cross. Lord, I, help, I pray that you help us understand these pillars of wisdom. That we can build the house of God as you desire it to be. In this, especially this hour and this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless. Today we have Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock.